Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. First Sunday, we reflected on the whole issue of community. And I said that the reason we are community is because our God, who is one God and who exists in three persons, exists in community. And because we are created in his image, we are created to be in community just as he is in community. And then we looked at worship. And in worship, we saw that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they glorify one another continuously. And they have created us in their image for us to be able to worship just as they do. And as we looked at the Lord's Prayer, we saw that Jesus tells us to prioritize worship. Because once we prioritize worship as our beginning and as the end, then everything else comes into focus, not only in prayer, but really in life. And last Sunday, we saw the fact that worship is not just when things are good, but worship is a journey from the time of the fall, from the time of creation, to the time of when God will restore all things. There is a journey that is taking place and God calls each and every one of us at different times and in different ways to be able to be part of this worship. And we are really grateful to God for that. Today we look at united. United in faith. You know, it is such a beautiful thing to preach about united in faith when you know that as a church, we are actually united and that we are not divided, but we are united. In fact, the only time I ever had a hint of division in this church was in 2017 when one or two CLGs suffered because it was a time for politics. It was a time for election and different people had taken different political uh, views. And so what happened is that when they went to that CLG, there was a little bit of division on that front. But we generally, and for all I know, we've been united. And like uh, uh, Kidoti said on Friday, we had over 300 people here, just many people, uh, leaders just being together. Yesterday, we had men just meeting over here, and we had a real good time. We had the ladies uh, out there just having a good time. And my, it is so beautiful to see God's people united. This topic of, uh, of unity is important for us because um, it, 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 is, it, is, it is so critical that God's people are united because God himself is united. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are all united. But what tends to happen is as a result of the fall of man, as a result of our what affected our relationship with God? All the other relationships and all the other relationships unraveled. There was disunity. You look at Adam, you look at Eve, there was that disunity that came in as a result of the fall. And Satan loves that. Because when God's people are united, the things we can do are amazing. When we are united in the name of God, it is wonderful the things that we can do. And so our Bible reading today 
is from two passages. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And this concept of union, we'll, we'll look at it, actually, we'll, we'll take time for three Sundays, we'll just look at it. Because uh, sometimes we assume it, especially when things are good. But it's not just the unity of the church. It's the unity of small fellowships, it's the unity of friendships, it's the unity of believers, it's the unity of families. It is the unity of children to parents, parents to children, husband to wife, wife to husband, friend to friend. It encompasses all that. And that is what actually plays out in the church. And so it is a very critical subject if we are to do what God wants us to do. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It is a verse we say many times, and I, and I want us to look at it in detail. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then Paul again writing to the Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. He says, you my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so I'm, I'm only going to look at the first part. Because you see, you realize it is again the triune God. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And and Paul tells us, we should, we, we, he's praying for the, for the Corinthians, he says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first. Then second, the love of God. Again, we see God the Father there and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the three persons working all together. And like I said at the very beginning, the reason for our unity is because the God who created us is united. And he created us in his image. And so we need to be united. So today I'll just look at the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You realize the way Paul prayed that prayer and the, the way those words are arranged, they're not just haphazard or something that is just an accident. It is because if you do not understand the grace of God, it becomes very difficult for you to actually appreciate the love of God. And so it is critical that we understand the grace of God. The sermon outline is, what is grace? And what grace does? And then how all this brings us to be united in faith. What is grace? Grace is a, uh, the unmerited, the unearned and deserved kindness of and favor of God. What makes Christianity so unique is this thing called grace. You see, for all the other religions of the world, it is about what you must do to make yourself acceptable to God. But for Christianity, it is centered on what God has done for us to make us acceptable to him. And that just makes the whole difference, even the way we live, that it is God who has done this for us and in us. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, is a, Ephesians chapter 2 is a great uh, passage on, on grace. It's the premier book on grace. And it starts by telling us that we were actually dead in our transgressions and our sins. It says we were totally helpless when it comes to being able even to be accepted before the Lord. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Paul makes it very clear that it is a gift because you cannot earn it. It is given to us freely. We cannot earn it because God who is perfect demands perfection. And yet you and I have already sinned. We have fallen. There is no way we can ever be perfect. And so God who is perfect gives this perfection to us as a gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And so what does grace do? Grace is not just the inclination of God to treat us better than we deserve. But it's also the extension of that inclination in our daily practical lives. It's not an event that just happened once and then ended. It is the same grace that saves us, that enables us to grow, enables us to live every day this new life in Christ Jesus. And I think that is why Peter, writing in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We grow in it. We learn about it more and more on a daily basis. Because when we, were, when we were called by God, we were sinners. We were dead in our transgressions. And so when he brings us alive in this grace, we need to know more about it. It's just like a little baby. They, they, they come and they don't know anything. And then they begin to grow. They begin to learn. So how does this fact of the grace and what, is, what grace does unite us in faith? Like we said, grace cannot be earned, but it can be assessed by faith in Christ for salvation, for our spiritual development. And this grace is demonstrated by our obedience. And that obedience does not mean that because we've obeyed, then we earn the grace, but it is a demonstration that we trust God. It's a little bit like Many of you here, even in this church, we have electricity. Now, if you don't switch on those uh, uh, electricity buttons, you, you will not have it. But it's there. It doesn't mean you are the source, but you access it. You may want to charge your phone. You go and plug the, the cable in because you are accessing it. Not that you generated the electricity, but you access it. And so the grace of God has been given to us. And he calls us then to access that. And so our unity as God's people are those who have accessed this grace by faith. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That unites us as God's people. We have gained access to this grace. And because we've, again, we've gained access to this grace by faith, we can now stand and we can boast in hope of the glory of God. That makes us one. That makes the person sitting next to you, the person sitting next to me, one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unique. And that brings us together. You see, unity, for the sake of unity, never had, hardly lasts, actually. 
You may remember the people of the Tower of Babel. They were united to make a name for themselves, but they did not last. But when we are united in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then that makes a difference. Because it is a grace that never runs dry. It is a grace that draws us into what was, what is, and what will be. And that makes us unique. How does this grace come about? I think the best picture of this grace is shown when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And then the action that God took to remove them from that slavery. And that is, starts from Exodus chapter 12. And I'll be looking at it in detail. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus speaking about himself. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when you look at the story of the Israelites in Egypt and how they were removed from slavery, what Jesus is saying is he's come to fulfill all that which took place. The picture that we are seeing, we see in Exodus, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so the picture in Exodus shows us God's people after the fall. God's people desperate in slavery of death, in slavery of, of, of just the, the, the cruel hand of ungodliness in the world. And then how they cry out to God and then God hears and then goes and tells Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that's a powerful story in the book of Exodus. Because the day that they, they had about nine plagues that took place in Egypt. And those plagues were very unique because several of them would actually take place only to the side of the Egyptians or to the, on the Egyptians. But the last plague was very unique. It was going to take place in the whole of Egypt. Whether you were an Israelite or an Egyptian, it did not matter. And so what God told these people is there's going to be an angel of death that is going to come. And it will kill the firstborn, which was a representative of death for the whole family. You can still see grace there. Because if God wanted to destroy everybody, he would have. But it was only the firstborn uh, 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 human being and the firstborn animal that were going to die. And this was going to happen to everybody, whether you were an Israelite or an Egyptian. Because what God was saying with the tenth plague is that we are all guilty and we are all under judgment of death because of our sin. And so he tells the, the, the people, look, the only way you'll escape this angel of death is slaughter a lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and when the angel of death comes, he will know that someone or some animal, something innocent has died in your place because you are sinful and you deserve death. And then from verse 1, Exodus chapter 12, from verse 1 to verse 2, then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, this month it should be for you the first month, the, the first month, the first month of your year. In other words, they were to recalibrate all their calendar so that all their lives began on that day. To signify that for the first time, they were going to be born again, so to speak, because they all deserve to die. And this is, God is saying, this is the beginning of a meaningful life for you. You've been in slavery. You are supposed to die. 
but you've been made alive because an innocent animal has died. And so this unites us because as believers, Christ, who is our Passover lamb, has made us new. Our meaningfulness as a people has begun on this day that we receive Jesus Christ. We begin to count our lives from the time and our meaningfulness to our lives from the time we receive Jesus Christ to eternity. It's amazing. And then the second thing you begin to realize about this grace of Jesus Christ. Who is our Passover lamb? When they were told, they were told it is, they were not to do, they were not to slaughter the lamb alone. You were to do it in families. And if your family was too small to finish that lamb, then you call other people, other families that were smaller. He says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor. See, Christianity and the grace of God brings us together. It's about family. It's about community. It cannot just be about me. And if you really want to know whether you understand the grace of God, observe your prayers. Are your prayers about, God, just give me a job. I was listening to Robert Boga, and he was saying, you know, we need to be thinking bigger in terms of even businesses, to think how much, how can we employ even people? How, how can we grow businesses that will even employ other people? As opposed to my thing and I, myself. How is your prayer? Is it just about me and my health? Or is it about the people even in Turkey? Many who are suffering, many who have lost their loved ones in Syria. Because when the grace of God comes, it's no longer just about me. And when you think community and when you think family, it means sacrifice. Because it's not easy for people to live together. It requires a lot of sacrifices. It requires about thinking about other people. And those are the things that unite us. And those are the things that God is calling us to. To be sensitive to the person next to you and the person next to me. To try and read what they're thinking. To listen. As opposed to just talking and talking about yourself. But to hearing what's happening in the life of the people around me. It's calling us to care about our families. To care about one another. The other area is the recognition of the sacrificial lamb. Again, you see that in Exodus chapter 12 from verse 5 to 10. Because these people were not just united, but they had this value for this lamb. In fact, they are told the animals you choose must be a year, must be a year old, males without defect, and you may take them from the, the sheep of, or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at night. It was a lamb they nurtured, a lamb they cared for, a lamb they valued. And that is why when we come to the Holy Communion, to the table, we don't just take Holy Communion lightly because we understand the value of Jesus Christ to us. Because we own him, we value him. And that unites us as God's people in the faith of this Christ who we are not taking lightly. And that is why Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, 
in chapter in 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 chapter Second Corinthians. He tells them. You have taken, you've devalued Jesus Christ. And because you've devalued Jesus Christ, there are divisions among you. And not only that, because of your division, some of you are just dying and you can't even explain what is happening. Because they did not value this Christ. We value this lamb, the Passover lamb. But another thing you realize in chapter 12, verse 11, is these people were all set for freedom. They were all set for journey. They were sojourners. They were ready to depart anytime they were called upon. This is how you are to eat it. Eat it with your clock tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. A people who are ready. Ready when we are called by the Lord to move on. Move on from this earth. We are ready. Move on to another, 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 another business, we are ready. Move on to another city, we are ready. That is what unites us, amazingly. Sojourners. I, I, was, I was reminded of this, 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 this depth of being ready. When, when I heard about the earthquake in Syria and, 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 and uh, Turkey, these people just went to sleep. And the following day, a lot of them had died. And you know, I, I really didn't want to preach about this, this passage. And, and the reason I didn't want to preach about this passage was I was reasoning that who doesn't know about grace? Why should I preach about grace? And then when I just made up my mind nicely, I got a call on Tuesday. And I was told there's a lady who we, wa- we worked together with for 22 years. And for those 22 years, for seven of the years, she was my personal assistant. And she was very strong. She went to work on, on Monday evening, closed her shop to go home. On the way, she was hit by a matatu, hit and run. And she died. Just like that. A healthy person. And then the Lord reminded me that there are people who've never heard of the grace of God. Or if they've heard of it, they have not appropriated it in their lives. And he reminded me it's not about what you want to preach. It's about what I, the Lord, once preached. And maybe you're here And you're hearing about the grace of God. And you didn't know how to access it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Then the Lord reminded me, there's a second group of people. This group of people, they received salvation by faith. But like the Galatians... They want to live the Christian life in their own strength. And God was almost like telling me the church is becoming stuck and stagnated because God's people want, don't want to live in his power. They want to live in their own power to show how amazing they are and not to rely on him totally. 
And they are not ready as sojourners to do what God wants because they are afraid to move on to do the next thing in the strength of God because they are relying on themselves as opposed to relying on what God wants them to. They are afraid to reach out and to, to do things that God wants them to do. And then there's a third category of people that God reminded me. These are believers, people who have appropriated the grace of God in their lives. They are walking by grace, but that grace is so limited. They don't even want to share about that grace with a person next to them, with the people around them. And as I was thinking about this, I realized God was pointing a finger at me. That I don't want to preach about grace. Because I think everybody knows it. And maybe you're here, you're like me, and you, you, you just think people around you, they don't care, they don't need it. Why should you even speak about it? And God is saying, look, you're a sojourner. You're here for a short while in a certain generation. And you're a vessel and an, an instrument of God for a certain purpose, for a certain time. The other thing that we see here is the substitutionary death. That is from chapter 12 again from verse 12 to 13. Because we've passed over, we've been passed over by the angel of death, death that we deserved. And it has been laid on an innocent man, Christ Jesus, one who had no sin, and he has died in our place. And so God said, on that night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you that the houses where you are and where I see the blood, I'll pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike. We know that fact. And we know that people will die if they don't have the blood of Jesus Christ. But because we don't want to love or we don't want to reach out or we don't want to live by grace, then we let people die. Workmates. Neighbors. Another thing that united these people was the commemoration of these ceremonies. In Exodus chapter 12 from verse 14 to 20. They were to remember it. Just the same way Jesus told us to remember, to come together, to remember, to be in our homes. To break bread in our homes. To break bread with one another in our churches. To remember what Jesus has done. What unites us really is gratefulness. An attitude of gratitude. When God's people understand God's grace, they develop an attitude of gratitude. If you are ever in a group that every time you meet, you're talking negative, I have some very good advice for you. Either start praying for that group and change that attitude. Or start to disciple the people in that group who are always negative. Because they don't understand the grace of God. This day you are to com you, this day this is a day you are to commemorate. Jesus, uh, God tells the Israelites on a yearly basis they were to do that. Jesus changed that and said we need to commemorate the Holy Communion as often as we can. But that is not all. This generational discipleship that brings us together. It's about discipleship. 
a demonstration of the unity in the body of Christ. We are passing it on to the next generation when we come together, when we are united. If you're a, if you're a family, if you're your husband and wife, the way you are united, you're teaching your children how a family needs to live in unity. But also you're teaching other children who are not necessarily your children how to live together in unity. When we live together in unity as a church, we are teaching the next generation who will come after us to live in a united way. So it's not always about us. It's a demonstration. It's a discipleship process. God told the people in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as, a promised, as he promised, observe the ceremony and when your children ask you what does this ceremony mean to you, then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spare our homes when we struck them down, when we struck down the Egyptians, when he struck down the Egyptians. It's about discipleship. And I think that's why Kinoti was saying, we thank God for the teachers, the people, volunteers who've come up and are teaching our children. We have a good problem. The children came so many. The teachers are not many. The volunteers are not many. How about you thinking, why don't I disciple this next generation? How can I, as part of our unity, sacrifice a month, two months, three months to teach this generation? Some of you can be so naughty. I can tell you that. When you're going to pick your children, some of our people who volunteer to teach our children are just young people, youth. And some of you, they tell you to pass this side for the sake of the security of the children and you just push them aside. Some of you think that people who teach our children are paid. And when they tell you you can't take your child now, you tell them, but we pay you. That is so arrogant and so discouraging. Some of you, God is just calling you to provide security for these children. Maybe you're not gifted in teaching. It is about intergenerational. When we receive the grace of God, it is about us. It's about discipleship. It's about mentoring the next generation. So whatever we do, they will ask us, what does this mean? They may ask verbally or they may not, but they are looking. The people of Israel were told <clears throat> that they are to do this. But there is also the concept of obedience and worship. We are united because we are obeying God. We are not just united for the sake of being united. In, in, from verse 24, the one I read of chapter 12, it says, Obey these instructions are lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord your God will give you as, a, as he promised. Observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes and he struck them down. And then that verse goes on to say, and the people obeyed and worshipped. Grace is also about favor. When the Israelites listened to the Lord and they obeyed the Passover, that very night, we are told that the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. 
the Lord made the Egyptians favorable, favorably disposed towards the people. And they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. It is about favor. We are a people who are favored of the Lord. Uniquely favored. So much so that these people were slaves. They had obeyed and done the Passover. And when they went to the Egyptians that morning, when the Egyptians were telling them, leave, Moses had instructed them, ask for articles of silver and for gold and clothing. And the Egyptians gave them. Because God made the Egyptians to be favorable to the people. This is unique. So how did they plunder Egypt? Egypt was a rich, powerful nation. But the, the property, the material they took was such that they plundered Egypt completely. How did they do it? The gold rings, the children, they put it on their, their hands, on their necklace. They used them as necklaces. These were children, youth, adults, everybody. Because what God does with these people is he favors them very uniquely, irrespective of your age, irrespective of your station in life. And the Egyptians had exploited them for 400 years. And God repaid the Israelites that night. Because God is amazing. If people have been unjust to you, he will deal with them. And that is why it is written, don't take revenge. Because revenge belongs to the, the Lord. And they carried all that. Why were they carrying all that gold? They were going into a desert. Who would need gold in desert? It is because they were going to build a temple, a tabernacle for the Lord. And I know some of you, especially the younger people, for about two, three years, and I could even see it at the staff level, they kept asking, why are we building a, a why do we need to build a temple? Where will we get the money? It is so much. And one person even asked me, do you, take, do you get sleepless nights because of this building? And I told them, no. Because God has given each and every one of us what needs, what we need to build that temple. Everyone. Some big, some small. And when we, in obedience to the Lord, give, that will be built to the glory of God. And the grace of God that, and his favor upon us will be revealed to the whole world and it will be a testimony. And you know, right now, our neighbors are not happy with us because we have to open all the flaps because it's, we are in a tent and so they are hearing all the noise and they are not very happy with us. But I'm believing that when we move there, we will be able to reduce the noise and the place will be cooler because we'll be a testimony to our neighbors. So grace is when God himself takes the initiative and you, by faith, access that. Not that you do it. Allow me to just show us a video of Dick. Dick Hoyt. Hoyt is H-O-Y-T. Dick Hoyt, they, he and his wife got a son called Rick. When they got Rick, the doctors told Dick and his wife, why don't you just take this? Because what, when the child was born, the, um, the cord was around their neck, the, the kid's neck. And they said, why don't you just take this kid to our home? Because they'll die. They're not worth it. Just leave them. But Dick and his wife said, no, we're going to take him home. And then they realized this child was very intelligent. 
And so what they did is they, he couldn't talk, he couldn't move, but they realized with the movement of his eyes, he could communicate. That was in 1973. So they had some engineers develop some very specialized computers where just with his eyes, he could actually print out what he wanted done. And so when he went to school, uh, at some point, one of his classmates was in an accident and became paralyzed. And so the kids in that class decided they were going to have a run. And in that run, they were going to raise funds for their, this colleague who was paralyzed. And Rick, through the computer again, told his father he wants to be part of that run. So his father, who was not an athlete, had to train so that he can push Rick. And after that race, Rick told his father, for the first time, I felt I am me. And I felt worth, worthwhile that I could be a part of an asset. I could assist in this way. And from there, he started running in races for the sake of Rick. I want you to watch this video.
That is a picture of grace. And I am Rick. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he had a right to leave us where we were and even reject us, Dick had a reason that professionals have said reject, but he has accepted. And it's not just grace. When I'm receiving the Lord and I live the rest of my life in my own way. Rick could not even get into that chair. He had to be carried. That's what our God does for us. That's what grace does for us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He carries us. Have you received this grace? Do you know this grace? And if you have, how much is it extending to people around you? To your family? To those who are unable? To people who are in need? Are they experiencing this grace? Are you a channel of this grace of God? We'll sing this song and then our service leader will come and close for us. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721-990-880. God bless you.